Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here. I enter God's presence uh, this evening with music and singing, and so I invite you, let's stand together and joyfully sing to the one who saves us.
Jesus, we thank you for taking our sins away. We thank you for being the one who loves us, who cares for us, who saves us. You are the fairest of all. Thee will I cherish.
like dying, more like living for heaven on earth, but more on me. Less like dying, more like living for heaven on earth. For heaven on earth. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, what a priceless gift. God, I'm yours, and you are mine. Let my restless soul be still and know I am leaning on your everlasting arms. I am leaning on your everlasting arms. life goes on minute by minute, day by day, month by month, we choose to lean on you, knowing that you are the one who helps us, that we have such a great fellowship with you, and there is such joy that you've given us that only you can provide. We thank you for what a priceless gift that God, you are ours and we are yours. We thank you for that gift of life. We thank you for that gift of relationship with you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we continue our study through God's Word and, and journeying. If you were here last night, this room did not look like this. It was full. It was a... A whole kingdom and 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 kids and and all kinds of different things and we had a, a great shout out to all our volunteers that helped put it on. Uh, we had well over 300 uh, here last night. We went through a, a, a lot of candy and a lot of really good time and, and and I was really happy to be able to see all the young families and young kids that that came out to join us for that time. So we can be praying for the the gospel message that got shared. That the seed would, that that seed would uh, get planted in the kids' hearts, and that a lot of these young families would be encouraged by that. As we take a look at this 
letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, this is one of those letters that Paul was writing and he didn't know how much time he would have left. Uh, he's writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, and it, it takes on a little bit of a, of a different feel. He uses the same format, but it's got a little bit of a different flavor that is there. This letter was written by Paul really to encourage Timothy and to encourage him in the battle. You think about Paul, he's been in ministry for a really long time by this time. And this is you know, somewhere in, in the early 60s, 80s. and He's already been in prison once and released, and, and, and he's out. And most likely he's writing this from a, another prison cell, the Mamertine prison. We'll cover that in a bit. But he's writing to Timothy and relating to Timothy, who is, is receiving this letter in Ephesus, uh, as he's as he's ministering there, but ministry was not getting any easier for Timothy. Uh, it was becoming a little bit harder for him and having to stand firm. And as Paul is leaving or getting ready to leave the ministry, and he can't really be there with his son in the faith, he really wanted to encourage Timothy to stand fast. And that's really true. As you age and as you grow in a place where you can't do ministry the way that you used to do ministry... It's imperative that you would empower the next generation for the work of the ministry. And, and as opposed to just advocating that and say, okay, well, I'm done, you really need to begin discipling who is going to replace you, who is going to take your place in, in that role of, of leading in that ministry that God's called you to and watch carefully. And so Paul has been really working with Timothy for many, many years in training him to be able to do that, and I think it's important for us to understand that. So Paul was in his, his this first imprisonment, then he was freed for a bit, he got to visit Timothy, and then now he's, he's most likely back in this prison. In fact, at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6-8, Paul would write, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I've kept the faith. And in the future is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So we know that, that, that Paul knows that his time is drawing near to an end within this. What would you say to the younger version of yourself, if you were empowering yourself, knowing what you know now for ministry. Because that's kind of what Paul's doing. It's as if Paul is writing this letter of, of 2 Timothy to the younger version of self, the younger version of Paul, having to do ministry in Ephesus. Knowing what he knows, knowing the experiences and the spiritual battles and the spiritual warfare, he wants to empower Timothy to be victorious within this, to make disciples, to encourage him. And he's going to use three analogies in, in this letter that we're going to see. Paul's going to use the analogy of a soldier, of an athlete, and a farmer. And he's going to bring that out because what he wants, him to, wants Timothy to understand that that there's different realms of perseverance that you need to focus on. As a soldier, you would fight the fight. You would fight the battle. As an athlete, you would run the race. And as a farmer, you would persevere even through hardship and work hard. 
And you would have to work hard within this. Ministry is not easy. And, and it is not for the faint of heart. You are going to be attacked. You are going to run up against people that are not going to like you. You're going to have friends that you connect with that are going to turn their back on you. You're going to have to deal with oppression in many different ways. And it's all because you stand for the gospel. So you have to determine what kind of soldier you're going to be. What kind of athlete you're going to be. What kind of hard worker are you going to be in the ministry to be victorious? And why? Why would you do these things? Paul sets before Timothy a goal. Three different goals that we'll cover as we cover through this letter. But we've got to understand that, that God always rewards those that persevere. God will give to you that reward and where you will reap if you don't faint. That you don't give up. That you don't quit the race. That you don't stop working hard. That you don't give in. And so as Paul writes this, he's really writing this again. He uses this, his normal Pauline um, salutation. But he changes it a little bit. And you're going to see a little bit more of a coaching realm with him um, within this. So let's dive right in. Second Timothy chapter 1. And we'll kind of take it in segments. This first seven verses is the first segment. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So he starts out, and one of the things that he does, and, and chapter 1 is really all about trying to call Timothy to recall his calling. There are times when you've been in ministry long enough that you start feeling this thing called burnout. I've been in long enough, but, you know, and I've been doing this a long time, and, and all of that, and, and you can get to this place of burnout, where you're fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting, and you don't feel like you're really gaining any ground. So Paul, the whole tenure of this is, is Paul trying to get Timothy to kindle afresh some of the work. He starts with his calling, because he wants him to understand, how do you, how do you avoid burnout? How do you avoid saying, I've done my time, I'm done? You have to kindle afresh your calling. So what does Paul do? If you notice in all of Paul's letters, he, in his introduction, he actually reverts back to his calling. He reminds himself of his calling. He takes himself back to the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9 to be able to recall that calling that he had on his life when he first met Jesus. 
and the excitement that was all part of it. He says, Paul, an apostle, apostolo, one sent with a message of Jesus Christ through the will of God. He identifies himself with apostolic authority, but he's saying, this was not my idea. In fact, if you remember Acts chapter 9, what was Paul looking to do? Destroy Christians. And Jesus knocked him off his high horse and put him on the ground. He says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? And he says, you know, hey, Paul, it's pretty hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? And, and he says, you're going to go. In fact, he talked with Ananias. He says, this guy's got to go and he's got to suffer many things. But I'm going to send him to the Gentiles. I'm going to send him to this message. He says, by the will or through the will of God, it's not self-promotion. If you are self-promoting in ministry, you will burn out. But if you have God's divine calling on your life, there is no burnout. Now, you can get tired because you, you are called and you start out in the Spirit but unfortunately, so many of us try to accomplish what began in the Spirit. We try to accomplish it in the flesh, like the Galatians did. And we shouldn't. So I think, in, in, in considering this, as I was working through this, why did Paul always start out, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, through the calling and, and such thing? Because I think Paul needed to preach to himself first. He needed to preach to himself, I am called, and I am called by God's will, to do this job. And so he would reflect back on the amazing grace that was shown to him. That he was sent on a mission. What was Paul's mission? He says it here in this letter. According to the promise of life in Jesus Christ. I was called what? To give people the promise of life in Jesus Christ. To give the gospel. That was his, his whole focus, was to, to give life through grace and, and the ministry of eternal life through Jesus. Who is he writing to? To Timothy, his son in the faith. In, his, in Titus, Titus 1.4, it says, To Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God and the Father of Christ Jesus our Savior. Paul considered those people that had come to the Lord and that he adopted spiritually as his children, his spiritual children. And he cared for them all deeply. And he evokes grace, mercy, and peace, which again was a typical Pauline greeting, but it really is, is, is the foundation of the gospel message. That we are saved by grace. And that God's mercy is shown upon us so that we can have peace with God through Christ Jesus. And so he always reminds the reader of that. And as a spiritual father, he says, look it, this is, this is something that I'm calling you to. Do you remember, to Timothy, my beloved son, it, within this, and he says, I thank God, verse 3, whom I serve with a clear conscience of the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. Why? Because he's in a jail cell. He's stuck. He remembers, though, Timothy's calling. If you remember, Timothy was called out. He had his mother and his grandmother who were Jews and they were strong in their faith. They had a, uh, a Gentile father within this. They, were, they taught him the scriptures. 
He was trained well. And I got to thinking about this whole idea of Timothy's calling. As he reminds him in this letter, do you remember your, your mother, your grandmother, and how you, do you remember your heritage? Question. When does God first begin the work of your calling? Before the foundations of the world. He began that work. Timothy's grandmother would be part of that work. His mother would be part of it. Even the father would be part of the work. Where he lived would be part of the work. God doesn't make mistakes. He's working everything out and orchestrating everything according to His good will, His good pleasure, for His glory in your life. And so within this, when you look at everything that's happening in your life, say, thank you, God. And what are you doing? (laughs) Thank you, God. I don't know, but it's going to work out. Your calling begins with God working, I believe, in your heritage. It's not just with the day that you come to faith. There was a work behind the scenes that is amazing. And if you could ever get in behind that and see the orchestration of events that would happen in order to bring you to a place of the awareness of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you would be in awe and just say, thank you, God. Why is this important for Timothy? Why is it important for us? Because if we realize the divine work that God does, not only to bring us to a place of salvation, but to bring us to a place of fulfilling the calling in our life, we'll never leave that calling. We'll never leave that calling. Because so much work went into bringing us to that place of being used by God for His glory. God has a plan, and what's amazing, and we're doing this in NextGen with, with uh, Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God, but, and we'll do it again on Sunday night, but one of the amazing things that we have to reframe is we don't call God to join our plans. God calls us to join His plan. And so within that, God has a divine plan that is so intricate, detailed, it'll blow our mind. And he just says, hey, Carrie, I want you to be part of this. You need to go to Warren, Oregon. Where? (laughs) Where is Warren, Oregon? Because there's somebody there that you're going to minister to. And when God calls you to minister, there is only one right answer, and the answer is, yes, Lord. Send me. Let me go. Philippians 1.6 says this, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You may not feel like you're being perfected, but you are. God is doing that work. So don't bucket and don't quit. Don't give up. Continue on. Paul remembers his sincere faith, and he remembers Timothy's sincere faith. You know, I'm discipling a number of young people right now. And and I've determined that as I get older, I need to be raising the next generation. So I've got three different young people that I'm doing discipleships with. And and they're all in their... Yeah, they're all in their 20s. I had to think for a minute, make sure I was accurate. 
And I am amazed. There was a young man that, that spoke up recently, and I just sat back kind of proud. You know, and I'm like, oh, doing good. Doing good. Why? Because God's doing the work. And it's in sincerity that God is, is working these things out in their lives. Paul sitting back, and you've got to think about this. Paul is sitting in a jail cell in Rome at the Mamertine prison. And if you went with us to Turkey and to Rome last year, then you remember that hole in the ground. And he's sitting in that jail cell in the bottom layer of that with the Roman guards above and the hole that looks down underneath. And what is he doing? Remembering Timothy and praying for him. Can't go to be with him. But his prayers transcend brick walls and distances. And what is he praying? Timothy, fan afresh your faith. Fan afresh your faith. Give your faith this freshness. It's important for us to undersee or to see that we need to be in that place where we are, are fanning afresh that that faith that started so long ago. How do we do that? Go back to when you first got saved. That time in your life when you were on fire, when you were excited. And say, Lord, renew in my heart. Fan afresh that faith within that. Remember when, when you prayed and, and, and the Holy Spirit came upon you and you felt His presence. Remember that time when you got so excited and you shared the Gospel with somebody. Or maybe that first person you led to the Lord and you were so excited about that. Or the first time you realized that God used you in a mighty way. The first time you trusted in God and God showed up. Fan that faith afresh. Long for that. Be in that place. Timothy was not failing in his ministry. But Paul was praying for him that his faith would not become stale. Have you ever suffered from stale faith? Most everybody has. How do you move past a stale faith? It is up to you to come before the throne of God and pray, God, fan afresh that faith. Fan afresh that work that's in me. We've got to understand that, that what he's saying is by the laying on of hands, that Timothy, your ministry is, is not by perspiration, but your ministry is by inspiration. The laying on of hands and the Holy Spirit coming upon you and filling you and doing that work. Timothy, remember the inspiration that came with your ordination where God was calling you and you were firing on all cylinders and doing that. When you get tired in Ephesus and dealing with these false teachers and the false prophets and all these Judaizers that are coming against you, stop and remember what you've been called to. And the power of God that flows through you. And do the work as a good soldier. Don't forget your mission. Notice what he says here in verses 8 to 14. He says this. Therefore. Therefore what? Based on this, this 
remembrance of all that God has done in your life and called you and your training and that freshness of faith. Remember all of that and that God has not given you this spirit of being timid. Therefore, do not be ashamed. It's amazing that word ashamed. Got to pause right there because it's a powerful word. It means don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, of whom me, my, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his purpose and grace with which granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And for this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. There's that word again. I'm not a coward. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are Christ Jesus. And guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. What does he say? Be on alert and don't forget your mission. Be on alert. You think about a soldier that is standing guard. Standing in the gap. Would that soldier do very well if he was asleep? Not very long. He would need to stand watch and stand on the gap. And he says, and basically he's saying, don't forget the mission. Don't be one of those reluctant followers of the gospel. Unfortunately, in, in church, big C, in church altogether, we have a number of reluctant followers. This morning we studied the church of Laodicea. The church of complacency. It's interesting, in the church of Laodicea, as we studied this morning, and guys, you should be in that study as we go through Revelation. One of the things is he doesn't point out a sin, he just points out a condition. That you are lukewarm. That you are putrid. And I'll spit you out. Because it's so distasteful. He warns him, he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony. Don't be a reluctant follower of Christ. God's power is greater than that. And the God's power that's in you. The power of the gospel is great. It's great unto salvation. Do you realize that you have the keys for eternal life for another human being? You can share the gospel with somebody who is destined to spend an eternity in suffering in hell. And by sharing the gospel, you provide a vehicle for the Holy Spirit to come in and transform that life and change their eternal destiny. And all that's required is for you is to prayerfully open your mouth and share what you've been taught. And let God do the rest. But we're so scared today. I might offend somebody. I'm, I'm, I, I might not say the right thing. If I share the gospel with that family member, they might not talk to me anymore. I can tell you this, if you're in heaven and they're in hell, they'll never talk to you again. You have to, you have to open your mouth. 
Timothy, don't be ashamed. Don't be overwhelmed. Why would Paul say this? Because there's going to be a time when Paul will no longer be around and Timothy will not have his Paul as his backer. And he'll have to stand on his own. Paul's trying to get him to this realization to understand that the gospel is powerful. Romans 1.6 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation for everyone to, that believes, for the Jew first and then also for the Greek. Paul was not ashamed. He was not a coward. Church, we need to stop being cowards. We need to open our mouth. We need to be able to be in this place. We've got to understand that, that we are going to be challenged. But I can tell you this, adversity will breed stronger faith. Now, you do it in love. You share the gospel. Don't go out and beat people up. You're sharing in love, grace, mercy, and peace of God. Truth. Don't be one of those fair-weather Christians or this fair-weather faith that you're only going to talk when, when it's easy. Talk when it's hard. I had the opportunity this last Monday to share the gospel in a very, very difficult situation. And I shared that story with the men this morning. A very difficult situation where somebody had died. And I ran the risk. But the risk was important to be able to pray with somebody who was grieving loss and didn't have a platform to understand what was going on and was embedded in a demonic realm. Understand, Paul is telling Timothy, you are going to be tempted to be a reluctant soldier. Don't. Don't. We think about those situations where people will back off. Can you think of one, maybe after Jesus was arrested in the garden and taken to trial and one of the disciples was warming himself by a fire? Remember that? That would have been who? Peter. And a little servant girl comes up to him and says, I know you. You were with him. Peter says, Matthew 26, 35. Even if I had to die with you, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, not going to deny you. But what did he end up doing? Verse 75. Peter remembered the words of Jesus before the rooster crowed. You denied me three times. You went out and wept bitterly. Why? Because he denied him not just once, not twice, but how many times? Three times. Why was Peter so reluctant? I'm ready to die with you. I'll show you, Jesus. I'm ready to die with you. I'm going to pull out my pocket knife and cut off a servant's ear. Bad job, Peter. We look at that. But when push came to shove, and Jesus wasn't visibly present to bail him out, he backs down to a servant girl. Timothy. When Paul's gone and you're in Ephesus fighting the beasts of Ephesus, don't back down. He calls Timothy to live a courageous life and not to shamefully retreat. We can do this. John 16.33, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. Why? I've overcome the world. I tell you what, it's much easier to be courageous when you know you've already won the battle. Isn't it? 
People ask me all the time, are you worried about Israel? Nope. You're worried about the world and the, the world battles in Iran and Russia and China and all that. Are you worried about it? Nope. How can you be so confident? Because I read the end of the story. I know how it ends. And it may be a rough go. But in the end, we win. And if I shed this body in the process, I still win. So I'm okay. We understand that. And that's the confidence. It's the confidence in our salvation. It's not just a confidence of salvation. And I want you to pay attention to that preposition. It's not the confidence of salvation. It's the confidence in the salvation because I am in Christ. And I know that I'm saved. That covers my head. But knowing that I'm in Christ covers my heart within this. And Paul encourages him. And it's not based on works. But he says this. He says, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us where? In Christ Jesus. Where? From all eternity. Within this. Be very clear. Your works do not earn you salvation. Are works valuable? Yes. You don't work to get into heaven. You don't work to be saved. But your actions declare your salvation. In other words, how you live, as James would say, you say you have faith, show me, and, and others say you have works, but show me your faith by your works. The, the, the actions that we do declare whether or not we're saved. It declares that purpose. It's secondary to the condition that God has already established. And so within this, we are, we are acting out from the position of those that are already being saved and those that understand our holy calling. Understand. You can say, yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm saved and I'm in Christ and I'm going to heaven. Great. That's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the holy calling that God has on your life right now. Question, do you know what your holy calling is? Do you know what God has called you to do? You should. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has a role in the body of Christ. You know, you might be the pancreas and not seen very much, but you're there. Might be a big toe. Might be a nose. Who knows? Your, your, your holy calling may be part of the prayer team. Your holy calling may be children's ministry. Your holy calling may be evangelism. It, it, it may be discipleship. It may be whatever. Timothy's was pastor, teacher, and evangelist within this. And that holy calling, as Paul would say, is based on grace. Why should I continue? Because God graced you with a holy calling, Timothy. Why should you continue, Timothy? Because God's graced you with salvation and He's graced you with purpose. This holy calling. So be confident that God did all of that work, not only just to save you, but to empower you for a work within this. 
And if you can be confident that God graced you with salvation and graced you with a holy calling, and understand God doesn't make mistakes, then do it. Continue on in doing it. Because God's purpose is revealed through His grace in Christ within us. You look at, at, he says this, verse 10, he says, But now it's been revealed by the appearing of our Savior who has abolished death, brought life and immortality and light through the gospel, which I was appointed as a preacher. Paul knew his calling. He was the preacher and a teacher and evangelist. And he was there to give the gospel out, to, to bring people from death to life. Ephesians 2, 8-10. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are His workmanship. That word workmanship, poema. I love it because I always think of poem. We are His workmanship created, note, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's got a roadmap for your life. You're not lost. You just need to walk the map and, and figure out what God's given you. And he illustrates that he is confident. Paul was confident in doing what he was doing. So many people are walking in a very timid way. I, I, I talk with people and they go, Pastor Kerry, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't, I don't know. I'm lost. I, I, I don't know. What is God's will for my life? I love you all, but suck it up, buttercup. God's got something for you. And the sooner that you act upon what God's doing, you say, well, I don't know. Then start something. There's an old saying. You know, a ship has a sail and it has a rudder, but it doesn't do any good if it's tied to the dock. You've got to get out there. And you've got to see what God's going to do and let the Holy Spirit lead you. Paul is saying to Timothy, be confident. Be confident within this. And he says, for this reason, verse 12, for I suffer these things that, I may, that I'm not ashamed. There's that word cower again. For I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. So the works that we do and the people that we, that we minister to really belong to God, and we trust him to keep them. Until the day, until our life is over. Paul was suffering in this Roman cell. Can you imagine him sitting there and knowing all of the churches that he was planted and all the people that he knows and all of that going, I can never get out to go visit these people again. Who's going to take care of them when I'm gone? But Paul says, not my problem. Why? Because they're God's. Well, I need to be there. No, you don't. They belong to God. Someday I'm going to be out of here. Who's going to take care of Warren Community? Somebody else? Why? The church is not mine. Y'all belong to God. I'm just a shepherd. And when this shepherd goes away, some other shepherd will come. But you as sheep, you belong to God. And, we, and, and the sooner we understand that, we need, we need to wrap our head around it. Now, Yet, it's, 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 again, I want you to understand the mindset of Paul. Again, we went to Turkey, and then we went to Rome, and we saw the Mamertine prison. I have a picture of, of an illustration of what it would look like. 
as you can see, and this again is just an artist's rendition. When we went to it, it, it's very similar. There was three layers up. You came in off the ground floor. And then the Roman area, the guard section was right there. And see the hole where it says prisoner entrance? You just drop them down. Do you see an exit? No. Other than, other than going out the sewer. That was a one-way jail. They would take them in and they'd yard them out the hole and they were just there. Could you imagine sitting in the hole like that and realizing that you have all the churches in Asia that you went and you ministered to and all the people that you love and you're, you're sitting there feeling helpless like, what can I do? I can't do anything. I'm stuck in this hole. Would that be easy to be defeated? Except for one thing. Paul says, I'm praying. And they all belong to God. I would imagine Paul had the capacity to be able to pray by name for so many people. And to be able to understand what was going on. And he says, and so he's writing to Timothy. Timothy knowing where he is in this jail cell. Saying, look it. I choose not to get lost in my mind. I choose not to, to be defeated. In whatever capacity God has me in, I choose to do ministry and I will keep doing ministry until I'm with the Lord. Timothy, when you're fighting, fight. I'm praying for you. And as he sends out this letter, he gives them a couple of imperatives in verses 13 and 14. First imperative, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And second imperative, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. In other words, Timothy, we, I want you to retain or hold as an example the sound words and guard the treasure that's there. Timothy, I've given you the treasure of God's word. Guard it. Retain it. Use it. I've handed it off to you. Within this. And let the Holy Spirit do its work in bringing it out. I've entrusted it to you. And again, those of you that are older in life and, and ministry is fading, who have you entrusted with the good work of the next level of ministry that needs to be done? He goes on, verses 15 to 18, specifically dealing with some problems. He says, you're aware the fact that all who are in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshes me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me, and the Lord Grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, which you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. So who are these people? Well, one of the things that Paul writes to Timothy about specifically is the people in Asia. Now, he says all those in Asia. Does that mean everybody in Asia? No. All the ones who deserted him that were in Asia. Was there a number of people that had turned their back on Paul? Yes. Why? Well, one, because he was arrested by Rome. And he was a prisoner and they were ashamed of his chains. They didn't want to be affiliated with the prisoner that was there. And so many, especially in modern day Turkey, 
And having been to Turkey, I can see where Turkey and, and the seven churches that we have studied in the book of Revelation have turned their back on God. How do I know that? Because there is no church there. And if you heard recently that Turkey has turned their back even on Israel. So Paul, they turned their back on you, but they've already turned their back on God within this. But Paul writes to Timothy, he says, those that are in, in Turkey have turned their back, and he names two people, Phygelus and Hermogenes. These were spiritual deserters who abandoned Paul out of the shame in association with the gospel. I don't want to be associated with this Paul anymore because it was cool to be with Paul when he was popular. But now that Paul's not popular and he's being arrested, it's not cool to be with him anymore. Do you know Christians that are Christians when it's cool? But when it's not cool anymore, they're not walking with the Lord. When trouble comes, what do they do? They, they, I tell they, they they bail. And in the end days, it is going to be tough to be a Christ follower. It'll be difficult. Persecution is going to be on the rise. And taking a stand for the gospel and guarding the word that is treasured in your heart. You're going to lose family members over this. You're going to lose jobs over this. You may even go to jail. We know it's happening all over the world and it's, it's going to happen here in the United States. We already see it. Where Christianity is going to become outlawed. It's going to become so difficult. And it keeps worming its way in, the devil does. The greatest challenge, though, for spiritual leaders is to become disenchanted. To be frustrated when you become alienated by people. I can tell you as a pastor, one of, the, one of the most difficult challenges that I have is after pouring my life and my heart into an individual and having them turn their back on me. Have them turn their back on God. And, and it happens quite often. And, and you disciple, you train, you do everything, you, you're just loving on them and you're, you're working on it and have them not only turn their back on you but to defame you to other people. And he's telling Timothy, these two in particular, they did it to me. But take courage. Take courage. Don't allow these people to, to derail your ministry. In contrast, he finds the success. Osiris showed hospitality. He had poured his life into, into this guy and and in Ephesus, he was a blessing, and he had come and he had found Paul out in Rome to minister to him. One of the difficulties about being a Roman prisoner is that you were a prisoner on your own dime. They didn't pay for anything. They just held you. So if you wanted something, your friends or your family or people had to bring it to you within that. And so Paul would, was taken care of by this Onesiphorus and, and others within this. Yeah, and he, he, he sought him out to be able to be a blessing to him. So on one hand, you've got from spiritual leaders, you can be discouraged because people turn their back, walk away, defame you, and then you have others that are a blessing to you. And he says, and that's going to be ministry leadership. 
And, and that's the way it's going to go. So what should you do? You should continue as a strong soldier. Chapter 2. He says this. You therefore, my son, based on the fact that it's going to be tough, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The thing which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So one of the first things that he does is he says, look at as a soldier, you're going to suffer hardship. Be strong in what? Your own strength? The dative in, be strong in what? Grace. Be strong in grace. In grace that is given you, you're saved by grace. You're strong in grace. It's this, this condition that's there. The, the tense is a, it's called a present pac- passive imperative. It means you need to do this now and regularly. So what should you do? In fanning a flame that fire and remembering your calling, preach grace to yourself. Preach grace to yourself. I am not a soldier under my own strength. I am trusting in the grace of God to carry me forward. It is by grace that I am saved. It's by grace that I am kept. It is by grace that I serve within this. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through what? Christ who strengthens me. When you get weary in battle, ask yourself, am I fighting in my own strength? Or am I fighting... From the foundation of grace, the bottomless pit of love that empowers me to do that work within this. It's through that daily empowering of God's grace. When you wake up in the morning, God, give me grace for the day. When you come against a hardship, God, give me the grace to endure the hardship. We need to understand that. And what does He do? He says this. Here's again to your mission. Mission. Entrust these things to faithful men that's able to teach others. Now again, keep in mind, Paul is going where? He's going to heaven. Right? He's going to die. He's entrusted Timothy. What is he telling Timothy to do? Entrust the gospel to other people that are able to what? Teach. Timothy, you go find your Timothy. And when you find that Timothy, pour your life into him. And when that Timothy is raised up, that Timothy needs to find another Timothy. In other words, discipleship. Make disciples. Are you discipling anybody? You should be. But don't disciple somebody just for the sake of discipling them. Disciple them to teach others. To teach others. You say, well, they don't have the gift of teaching. They don't necessarily have to have the gift of teaching. But you're teaching them to teach other people, to train, to give the Word of God, 
Paul trained Timothy to train other people according to the Word of God within this. Qualifications for elder is one who's able to teach and trust the elders to be able to teach. 1 Timothy 3.2 An overseer must then be above reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. What would it be like in the church today if we didn't have anybody capable of teaching God's Word? Would that be scary? And we see that in many aspects today. And it doesn't mean you have to go to cemetery in order to be able to learn to teach. I mean seminary. I'm sorry. You don't have to be educated. Read the Word of God. Understand what God says, what He means, and how to apply it. And meet with somebody and talk about it. Challenge each other. To be able to teach. Paul says, Timothy, suffer with me as a good soldier. One of the things that's interesting that Paul... And, and again, Paul uses this analogy of Roman soldiers. Because if you had a, a centurion, his soldiers were loyal to their leader. And they would suffer with him. They would go wherever he goes and encounter whatever... They would not go AWOL. Roman soldiers would not go AWOL from their centurions. Paul says, stick this out with me. Work through this with me. Stand with me. Suffer with me. And one of the things that a soldier should do is focus on the battle. He says a good soldier is not going to entangle himself in the things of the world. Centrally focused to be able to do this. To be able to, to be in that place, not to entangle himself in civilian affairs. And athletes, they're going, to, they're going to work hard in training for excellence. Farmers, they're going to suffer through the regular monotonous work. Farming is not for me, I can tell you that. I, I, I hate weeding. I hate weeding. I do not have the gift of pulling weeds. It's not my spiritual gift. I have the gift of spraying Roundup. That's my form of weeding. But bless those people that have the gardening that just look at it and they can tell you what plant it is and all of that stuff. I go, it's green, it's brown, that's it. Run the mower over it or the weed eater. Farmers have to work hard. My grandfather was a farmer. And he had, he had hands like tree stumps. I mean, they were just in hard and labor. And you work hard for a long time before you see fruit. Endurance. An athlete will train hard. You think of an Olympic athlete. And they start from a child and they work really, really hard all of their life for what? A medal. A soldier will train hard for battle. We look at this. All of them are single-minded for what? The reward and the fruit of their labor within that. For the soldier, war is hell and life is hard. And there is no give up in a soldier. You keep going. Paul says there is no give up. 
Don't get entangled with the, the affairs of everyday life, but seek to please the one who enlisted him. That is the goal. Go for the gold. Look for the fruit of the crops. And as you look through this, God will give you this understanding within this. Work hard within this and to suffer. Paul works through this and he, and, and he says, understand or consider what I'm saying. And remember that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the imprisonment as a criminal... But I love verse 9. But the Word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. It's a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. And if we are faithless, I love this. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. We think about the foundation that, that's in this, this gospel message, that began with God's promise that Jesus rose from the dead. That's central. That he is the Messiah through the descendancy of David. And it's the truth. Why is Paul in prison? For the gospel. Should Paul have stopped preaching the gospel to avoid prison? Should he? He would have had an easier life. Paul, don't preach. Don't be so adamant. Take it easy. Don't make it just, you know, water it down a little bit so they don't put you into jail. Could you imagine Paul trying to water down the gospel? Not hardly. Not hardly. And even though they threw him in the bottom of that hole, I love what he says. You cannot, what? Imprison the gospel. You can't imprison the gospel. Is the gospel being preached in our jails today? Yes. Is the gospel being preached all throughout the world, even in communist countries where they're trying to get it out? Is it being preached? The answer is what? Yes. Because you can't imprison the gospel. We won. We just need to keep on winning. And I think, and I was thinking about this, you can't imprison the gospel the same way you cannot keep Jesus in the grave. You can't imprison the gospel no more than you can keep Jesus in the grave. They tried that. Did it work? Not hardly. So he says, just keep on. And then he closes with these some conditional statements. If we died with him, and we have for the believer, then we live with him. Believers are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. That's what the baptism demonstrates. And if we endure, we'll reign with him. That's the reward. If we deny Him, though, on the other hand, what happens? He denies us. Matthew 10.33, Jesus said, Whoever denies Me before men, I will also deny Him before My Father who is in heaven. I love this last statement, though. 
If we are faithless, does that make God faithless? No. It says, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. What does that mean? In our human condition, in our human condition, if we stumble, if we fall, if we lose faith, much like Peter, God's still faithful. Our fallen human condition cannot change the faithfulness of God. That's powerful. You say, God, I blew it. And he goes, yeah, I know. God, can you ever take me back? Well, for sure. Why? Because I don't bow to you. You bow to me. I'm here for you. And so our weaknesses, our failures do not impact or change God's divine trajectory. He's sovereign. Lastly, he talks about how to be an honorable soldier. He says this, Timothy, remind them of these things. This is, this is your marching orders as a soldier. Remind them of these things. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words that are useless that leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to be present. Or I'm sorry, be diligent to present yourself. Approve to God a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Avoid, how do you do that? By avoiding worldly or empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene among them that are Hymenius and Philetus. Men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, for example, there are gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, and gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, and perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their own senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him who does this. In other words, Timothy, as a good soldier, you're going to fight a verbal battle. And this verbal battle is against false doctrines. Do not get entangled with all of these endless debates that lead nowhere where people want to talk to you about all of this, this ridiculous stuff that leads to divisions within this. You're going to fight false doctrine, but separate from false teachers. Don't get caught up in their, their, their stuff within this. If you have someone that comes knocking on your door and says, I want to tell you about this, that, or the other, 
you better be very focused on how you're going to be very short and concise in bringing the gospel, but don't get spun up into a long conversation. Keep it focused on Jesus within this. Don't get into these, these wrong debates of truth where people get into these things just to hear themselves talk. Where they start debating, well, you know, are you a Calvinist? Are you Armenian? Are you a this? Are you a that? Are you a giraffe? I don't know. Stay focused. Stay focused. Study the Word of God. Know the Word of God. Don't waste time trying to prove yourself. And he says, a workman is approved, right? The, the, the kids down in the other end are in the Iwana. Do you know what Iwana stands for? A workman approved and not ashamed. It comes from this verse in Timothy. A workman approved and not ashamed. If you know the Word of God, speak it. Know the truth, keep the truth, and do it unapologetically. Teach the gospel all the way through. He points out two more people, Hymenius, who we've already covered in 1 Timothy 1.20. He says, among these, Hymenius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan. Hymenius already got kicked out of the church. Hymenius gets kicked out of the church, and he comes back with this other guy, Philetus, and they're, they're spouting their doctrines. He says, don't have anything to do with them. They got kicked out. You don't need to even go talk to them. They got kicked out. He says, teach the truth. And he says there's two classes of people, vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. By teaching the truth, you're encouraging people to shed the things of the world the, and, and be in that common vessel of dishonor and become a vessel of honor within this. God knows those are His. They've sealed them in this place to be able to, to be in that place, to be able to be encouraged to know those that are His. And God has you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21-22 says this, Now He who establishes us with you in Christ Jesus and anointed us is God. And He also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. You know, I love this because what it says is this. God's got His stamp on you. Now when Satan comes after you, he comes up and he goes, Hey, I'm going to get after this guy. Oh, wait a minute. He's got God's stamp on him. He belongs to God. God, can I mess with him? God will say, yeah, you can do this, that, or the other, but you can't do this, that, or the other. Why? Because he's mine. But you imagine the people that don't have the seal of God on them. Wow. That's scary thinking there. And we think about this. We need to call upon God with a pure heart and be a vessel of honor. And we need to serve him well in all our ways. And we need to avoid the quarrels and the false speculations and the foolish ignorance of, of, of those that are there. We need to not quarrel, be quarrelsome, not looking for fights, but be able to teach. And with kindness and gentleness, and with the Word of God, seeking to save those that are marginalized or lost. People, we are in a war. And it's a war for people's eternity. You are a soldier. You've given, been given everything to be equipped for that work. To understand that God is sending you out into battle 
Romans 10, 12 to 14 says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon Him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How are they going to call Him? Who have not believed. How will they believe in those who have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? You're the preachers. You're the preachers. And in this battle, your job is to go find the captives and set them free. And in John 8.36, it says, So if the Son makes you free, you'll be free in what? Indeed. Let's pray. God, I thank You. I thank You that we could be in this place. God, I thank You that we can come before You and honor You. Lord, as we get ready to have a, a, a time of worship through communion, we first have to come before You and say, God, search our hearts and know us. Holy Spirit, see if there's any wicked way in us. Tonight we're going to have a, a, a time, as is our tradition of, of celebrating the Lord's Table Communion with the bread and the cup. This table is open to anyone who, who names the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But you've got to do a couple of things just to be ready to take it in a manner that honors God. Check your heart. If you've got sin in your life that you're not willing to confess, don't take communion. Jesus died for those sins. This is, this is not a, a ritual and it's not a stack. The bread and the cup, they won't save you. Jesus already did that. This reminds us of that great salvation. So it's an act of worship. During this next song, spend some time before the Lord just praying. When you're ready, come up and you can take the cup and take the bread. Hang on to it until the end of the song and everybody's been served and then we'll take it together. God, I pray that this would be a time that would honor you in everything that we say and do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. He who was before there was light Walked across the pages of time He who made every living thing Behold Him he who heard humanity's cry Left his throne to wake as a child He became like the least of us Behold him, Jesus, Son of God, Messiah The Lamb, the roaring lion Son of God. 
As we hold up this bread before you, we're reminded of all that you've done for us, Lord Jesus. That you left your throne in heaven. You came to earth and added to yourself humanity. To walk this earth, to experience life, and to die on our behalf. the perfect man that would pay for the sins of the imperfect world. But Jesus, when you died on that cross, you took to the cross the condemnation of every human being that would ever live so that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. This bread represents the greatest gift that we could ever have hope and confidence of eternal life that the minute we leave this body we're present with you because that sin debt's been paid we thank you for this bread and all that it reminds us of and as we receive it together as one body we worship you and we say thank you in Jesus name Amen let's all take the bread together Let's lift the glass up before God. God, we ask for your blessing upon this glass. That it reminds us of the new covenant that was ratified by your blood, Lord Jesus. The night before you died, you lifted a glass. And you told the disciples to drink all of it. It represents your blood that would be shed for the remission of sins. And though our sins were red as scarlet, you washed us and made us clean, white as wool. We stand before a holy God right now in His throne room of grace, saved, sanctified, cleansed, purified, no longer ever condemned because of what you, Jesus, did 2,000 years ago. We thank you for this cup and all that it means. We receive it now by faith, and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all take the cup together.
in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.